Well, uh, we've been going through uh, the book of Second Peter, but I'm taking a little break. Um, it is Resurrection Sunday. I don't always do things seasonally, but I uh, felt like I was supposed to. And so as I'm praying and trying to figure out uh, what God wants to do, I felt like he was uh, telling me just to review the plan. So we're going to review the plan this morning. It's really important that you understand God's plan. He's gone to great lengths to make it understandable, uh, even given us visuals so that we really get what the plan is. And so uh, we're just going to go over that this morning. If you want to pull out your notes, you can feel free to follow along with me. Uh, I'll be talking about, I'm really happy with my title here, uh, God's great big secret plan revealed with awesome retroactive visuals. Uh, which you'll understand as we go along. wasn't always revealed. It was a secret plan. Now it's been mostly revealed. Uh, there are a few details that we don't know yet, but the overall plan is very clear. And uh, what I want you to see this morning is that it's, it's so clear that it's, you almost have to not want to know it to miss it. And that goes on. Now, the first thing I want you to know is this plan that God has, and the plan is to redeem us, to take care of us, the plan he has for us. This plan was established before the fall, not in response to it. It's very important that you know that. Jesus was not surprised by what Adam and Eve did in the garden. He had a plan before he put them in the garden. And even, uh, it was still a secret at that point, but he even referenced it when he's talking to Eve in Genesis 3, and uh, he's talking about the consequences of their decision, and he, sa- and he references her seed, which would be at enmity with uh, Satan, right? And in Galatians 3, Paul makes it very clear that that was a reference to Jesus, the Christ. The seed, not her seeds, but the one seed, capital S, Jesus, right? And so even back then... Uh, God, in dealing with the fall, is referencing, but I've already taken care of this. I have a plan. Now, just for fun, there are several things that the Bible talks about that were established from the foundation of the world. So let's just look at this list uh, and and see what you think about this. Uh, Things that were established from the foundation of the world. There were secrets that Jesus was revealing in parables when he taught, and it says that these are secrets that uh, were secrets from the foundation of the world that he was just now revealing through parables. The kingdom prepared for the saints. You guys know there's a kingdom prepared for the saints. It was prepared before or from the foundation of the world. The testimony of the prophets, they probably thought they were just winging it, but it says that the testimony of the prophets and even how they would die for him was established before or from the foundation of the world. The Father's love for Jesus from the foundation of the world. Now, it gets interesting here. He chose us to be in him from the foundation of the world. Anybody here at the foundation of the world? No. One person thinks maybe. 
but he chose us to be in him from the foundation of the world. You got to ponder these things. God was thinking about you 6,000 years ago to be in him. Isn't that wild? These are things we should ponder sometimes. His works were finished or accomplished from the foundation of the world. The whole plan was done from the foundation of the world. Christ was foreknown from the foundation of the world. In fact, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Before the garden, that was going to happen. And there were names written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Again, stuff we should ponder. That right there is enough for some serious theological debates for the rest of the afternoon, which I'm going to avoid. But you feel free during lunch. A lot of stuff happened from the foundation of the world. I want you to see that this is not uh, a random plan. This is a plan that God came up with uh, way before he created us, knowing us, knowing what would happen. Now, we were singing this morning about the one who was and who is and who is to come. And I don't know if you realize this, but that is uh, a new title that Christ has given in the book of Revelation. It occurs four times in the book of Revelation and nowhere else. It hasn't occurred before the book of Revelation. Well, why? Because before Jesus came and died and rose again, we couldn't fully understand the plan. Before, now it was all there in the Old Testament, but it's a little cryptic and it's, you, you need some help. Even most of the Jews didn't understand the plan from the Old Testament until Jesus explained it to them, right? So in the book of Revelation, where he's laying out the rest of the plan, he begins to be referred to as the one who was and who is and who is to come, which is, as we're going to see, essentially the plan. Okay, the plan is Jesus, the one who was and who is and who is to come. Now, this makes me think of Advent, uh, oddly enough, which typically is uh, celebrated at Christmas because that's when Jesus showed up, right? Uh, or at least that's when we celebrate when Jesus was showed up. Uh, again, another argument you can have at lunch, feel free. Um, don't really care, I'm just excited that he showed up. And so Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, just meaning to arrive or to come. And typically, or traditionally, at Advent, you know, you light the candles and they represent different things. We typically uh, celebrate Christ's three comings. The first coming, where he came as a baby and he grew up and he died on the cross for our sins. The second coming celebrated is his personal coming, where he, as an indwelling spirit of God, came to live in us, to make us his temple. Amen? Amen. And the third coming, or really the second coming, the first coming, personal coming, second coming, is in the future. When he comes again, uh, having redeemed mankind, uh, now to redeem the earth and to, uh, as Revelation says, to destroy those who destroy the earth and to reward those who have uh, chosen him. Amen? And so <clears throat> we see these uh, in this title, the one who was and who is and who is to come. Uh, his first coming, his personal coming in us, and his second coming, his coming again in glory to uh, fully uh, complete his plan. 
And that will be the culmination of, of the plan. That'll complete it. Amen? Well, there'll be a thousand years where some other stuff happens, but it'll, you know. Again, another story. So, here's where we get to the awesome retroactive visuals. If you look in Leviticus 23, uh, it lists seven feasts that Israel is required to celebrate every single year. And they are visuals. And uh, what you'll find uh, is that they are commanded. Now remember, Israel, it's spread out over the whole promised land. But the, the temple, well, originally the tabernacle was in Shiloh. Um, and, then it, and then the temple was in Jerusalem. They had to gather there three times a year. It was required, all the males. And so I guess you could decide whether you're going to bring the kids or leave them at home. But uh, they had to gather at uh, the, either the tabernacle or the temple every single year, three times a year. The entire congregation of Israel had to come in unity to this single place to celebrate these seven feasts, which were grouped together in three different time periods, right? So it's very important. Been, they did this every year. Uh, Jews have been celebrating these visuals for 3,600 years. They've been practicing for what's coming. We'll explain that. All right? Now, the first time they would come together would be in the spring feasts, uh, which is right about this time of year, the time of Passover. Now, uh, for us, we're well into 2021. Uh, we were happy about that. We were tired of 2020. Um, but it doesn't seem like uh, there's a lot of reason to be a lot happier about 2021. Uh, anyway, here we are. But I'll give you something to be happy about. Uh, either way, we have Jesus. Yes. Amen? Now, if you're Jewish, though, your year just started about three weeks ago because the Jewish New Year starts right before Passover, all right? Now, you remember Passover uh, was when the Jews were, had been captive in Egypt for 430 years, and Jesus came and delivered them uh, with great signs and wonders, and the 10th one was uh, all the firstborn children were going to be killed by the angel of death, but... Uh, the children of Israel would uh, sacrifice a lamb, put the blood over the doorpost and the lentils, and the death angel would pass over them. Death would pass over them. People uh, who uh, were actually worthy of death, because everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, would not have to experience it. It would pass over them. By the sacrifice of the lamb, uh, bad things would pass over them. Death would pass over them, and they would be saved through the blood of the Lamb. You guys getting this, right? Okay, so this was the first Passover, and they were instructed to keep the Passover, to celebrate the Passover every year. And uh, really, these three spring feasts go together. Uh, they all occur in, in an eight-day period where they would gather at Jerusalem, and they represent the one who was his first coming. They are visual demonstrations or representations of the one who was, of the one who uh, came the first time to deal with the issue of sin. Um, we see uh, the Passover, the literal celebration of Passover, um, was of course when Jesus was crucified. He came in 
to Jerusalem, uh, the triumphal entry and all that, was during uh, this feast of unleavened bread, which would culminate with Passover when Jesus was crucified. So he even arranges for this to happen on the feast of Passover that they've been celebrating for 1,600 years. And uh, it gave the apostles language, these visuals gave the apostles language to explain the plan. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5, says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Well, every Jew knew what this meant. That uh, the Passover lamb meant you didn't have to die. And Jesus is our once for all Passover lamb sacrifice so that we don't have to die even though we're all worthy of it. Pretty cool plan. Now, I love this in John 1. Uh, John the Baptist is out baptizing, and of course Jesus shows up uh, to be baptized. And it says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you understand what an incredible statement this is, standing around a bunch of Jewish people who for 1,600 years, every year, have been celebrating the Passover? John goes, Guys, look! This thing we've been doing for 1,600 years, that's the guy. He's the lamb. He's going to take away the sins of the world. And they immediately got it. Because God had given them a retroactive visual, 1,600 years old. Right? He's really trying to make it clear. You almost have to not want to see it to not see it. So... Remember, though, they had to be in the house with the blood on the lintels. They had to be inside, under the blood. If you want death to pass you over, you have to be in him, under the blood that was sacrificed so that your sins could be erased. It's very simple. No amount of good works or bad works are going to impact this. The only thing that's going to impact it is, are you in him under the blood of Jesus given for your sins so that your sins can be forgiven? Isn't that an awesome plan? Now, uh, Lori, uh, go ahead and come up here and grab the mic, Lori. Lori, this next part, uh, she's been meditating on uh, the Passover, and she got real excited about this. And I said, well, since you're real excited about it, why don't you just talk about it at this part in my notes? So she will. Um, Wednesday, I was just consumed with, there, there was a song being um, played, it was our um, day of prayer here, so there was a song being played in the background that was called Pieces, You Don't Give Your Heart in Pieces, and the Lord brought me back to that moment of the first Passover when the people were inside, and they had very specific instructions that included eating all of the lamb eating the totality of the lamb. And I was just really struck with that. And all of these scriptures just started flowing out of me about the lamb. And um, I just, um, the, the Lord, one of the, the toughest teachings he ever gave to his people was um, that you will eat my flesh and drink of my blood. And he lost a lot of people that were followers at that point because they did not understand what he was saying. But even now, he's asking us that same thing. 
to consume all that he is so that we can be all that he needs us to be. And so God bless um, that revelation, and, and um, it just really excited me. It excited me. Amen. So, amen. You need to be aware. God is kind of an all or none God. The Bible describes him as a jealous husband. He wants his bride all to himself. So the Bible isn't a buffet. You don't just get to pick the parts you like. You have to eat the whole lamb. All. He is the living word of God. And it all applies. When you come under him, it all applies. All of it. Can't just pick. Right? All right. I love these visuals. He's trying to help us. All right. So the next thing that happens, actually, this has all been going on. The, the, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a whole week, and Passover happens at the end of it. So the, in the midst of uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, initially, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is uh, the celebration that they, they came out of Egypt real fast. They didn't have time to, to do the bread the way they usually do, and they took unleavened bread. Um, and it was a remembrance of how God delivered them swiftly from Egypt. But it has more significance than that. Uh, leaven in, seven, in, in several places in the Bible uh, is representative of sin. And uh, especially in Galatians, it talks about this. And so um, what is going on here is it's, it's a feast of uh, Christ's righteousness. It's a visual that there's no leaven, that there's no sin, that... Uh, Christ, through his sacrifice, uh, the righteous one, the, the perfect lamb, uh, makes us righteous. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For he made him who, know, know, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's pretty wild. It's an amazing plan, that we can be the righteousness of God through no effort of our own, but through Jesus dying on the cross in our place. And so we refer to this as imputed righteousness, but at the same time, the Bible talks about pursuing righteousness. And the way it explains it is righteousness has been given to us, but the devil will continually try to trick us into unrighteousness. And so we have to pursue that which has been freely given to us to walk in the righteousness that Christ has purchased for us. Amen? <laughs> And so uh, we do that. In fact, uh, it's interesting. Um, one of the things during the Feast of Unleavened Bread they would do is a leaven search. Um, they had to search their whole house and make sure there wasn't a, It wasn't just, hey, don't cook the bread with leaven. It's like, you got to look in the corners. You got to look everywhere. There can't be a speck of leaven. We have Jewish neighbors. Rachel went to visit them one time. And, uh, and it's back when we had a dog. And she had a little bag with her because she's picking up after our dog. And... She was going to go into the house for something, but it was, it was the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so they stopped her and said, you don't have any leaven in the bag, do you? No, just dog poop. Well, that's okay. <laughs> but no leaven can come into our house. Do you see the picture that God's painting here about the way we treat sin? We just, we just go, no, no sin. God's righteousness. God is pursued or has purchased righteousness for us. And so we pursue that by continually celebrating this leaven search in our lives. Uh, and, and they even make it fun. Sometimes the kids go look for leaven and, you know, you can have your kids do that, you know, uh, just 
you know, tell me if you see anything wrong with me. That'll be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> kids will enjoy that. So uh, this is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 5 when he says, Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Again, he's drawing on that visual to help the early church understand. God made you unleavened, so just purge out the leaven. You don't need it. You don't have to have it. He's giving you power over it. Amen? And I love in 1 Peter 1, he reminds us, knowing that you were not redeemed with incorruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's saying you weren't redeemed because you're following the rules. You're redeemed because a perfect lamb died in your place. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but the Passover lamb had to be perfect. It had to be without blemish and without spot. And so it was inspected vigorously by the leaders every year. When Jesus, and you can read about this in Matthew 21 through 28, when Jesus came in to Jerusalem in that week, if you look through there, you will notice he is questioned by the elders and the chief priests. He's questioned by the Pharisees. He's questioned by the Sadducees. He's questioned by the scribes. Every group of leadership questioned him and examined him, and no fault was found in him. The, the spotless lamb went through the inspection and qualified for the sacrifice at Passover. Isn't that awesome? These visuals, again, it's like God's just going, I'm just going to paint a picture so you guys really get it. Now, what would happen immediately after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, immediately the day after Passover, they would celebrate the Feast of Firstfruits, where they would take the very first new grain. It wasn't a harvest yet, just the first grain that had come up. It's the promise of future harvest, if you will. And they would offer that as a way of offering to the Lord. And it represents Christ's resurrection life, the promise of life. And... Uh, how Israel was delivered out of bondage into the promised land. And again, it's a visual that Paul uses to help everyone understand. In 1 Corinthians 15, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Isn't that cool? Right after Passover, Christ rises from the dead on the Feast of Firstfruits. And Paul says, see, he's the first one. He's just a promise of future. You're going to rise from the dead. And you're going to rise from the dead. I got family members and friends who aren't here on the earth anymore. But they're going to rise from the dead. Isn't that exciting? Because Jesus is the first fruits. He's the promise. He's the assurance that there will be a resurrection. They made a whole feast just so Jesus could make this point. A whole visual so that he could rise from the dead at the feast of first fruits. Amen? The day after the Passover. Now, I love this. In Joshua chapter 5, you remember Israel has left Egypt. Uh, they're headed for the promised land. They, they aren't real obedient. They complain quite a bit, and they experience a brief 40-year timeout, right? So now they're done with their timeout. We've got a whole new generation. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. They've been eating manna for 40 years with some quail thrown in, right? 
Remember? So look at this. In uh, Joshua chapter 5, and, they, and they've, they've just crossed the Jordan now, uh, the, supernaturally. The uh, Levites took the ark into the Jordan, and it parted, and they walked through on dry land, just like the Red Sea. And now they're on the other side, and everyone on the other side is real nervous, because, you know, they know what's coming. But now they're in the promised land. They've made it. And it says, and they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover. Unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna. They ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Coincidentally, they started eating from the promised land on the day after Passover, on the day of first fruits. As I'm telling you, if you celebrate Passover in your heart, if you recognize that Jesus is the one who died for your sins, and you put faith in him, you can immediately, you don't have to work up to it, you can immediately begin to eat from the promised land. It comes right on the tail of the Passover sacrifice. Eating from the promised land. Isn't that awesome? Are you seeing these visuals? God is a good teacher. Now, so that takes care of the spring feasts, the one who was. Let's talk about the one who is. And that is represented in the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. It's called the Feast of Weeks because it's seven weeks after uh, Passover, uh, which, or plus one, um, the day after, uh, which makes it 50 days. Uh, seven times seven is 49, for those of you who don't do math anymore. Um, plus one is 50. There we go. So that's what Pentecost means, 50. Uh, and it's when we celebrate the one who is, or his personal coming, that he came to the earth to represent the Father, to die on the cross for our sins, that he also, and this is very different, the Jews had not experienced this before, uh, they just had a relationship with the law, now they can actually have a relationship with God, he will personally come into them through the Holy Spirit and dwell with them. This is significant, right? So traditionally, the Feast of Weeks is when, uh, we don't have this in the Bible, but it's when the Jews believe uh, it is in that time that the law was given by Moses on Mount Sinai. So they celebrate the giving of the law. We, of course, know from the book of Acts that it's when God chose to give the Spirit to the church. And it is, the Feast of Weeks is a celebration of the first harvest. There was a spring harvest and a fall harvest. And so we celebrate the first harvest and interestingly, God decided to birth the church on the celebration of the first harvest. Anybody catch that? Are you seeing this? Yep. Now, what uh, I want you to see in a minute is uh, it's a, the birth of the church, even though the early church was mostly Jewish, it really is a lot about the Gentiles here, and I'll explain that in a minute. Um, in, but in Jeremiah 31, we have this promise but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be our people. On the day that they celebrate the giving of the law, 
God gives the ability to have the law in our hearts, to have the indwelling spirit of God, to actually not just have the law, but have the empowerment from the spirit to keep it. That's an amazing thing. The Jews had experienced hundreds of years of having the law and no ability to do a good job of keeping it. And now, through the Spirit, we have new life. We have regeneration. We've been made new creation in Christ. The Spirit of God enables us to actually do the things we want to do. Amen. Isn't that wild? And so, all of this happens when they're celebrating uh, the giving of the law. Now, here's the other thing I want you to see. This is really, really, really about the Gentiles, which we should get excited about because that's most of us. There may be a few of you here who are Jewish, but probably not a whole lot. Um, and so uh, this feast is, a, is really a reminder both to us and to the Jews that, hey, this deal isn't just for you guys. I picked a guy. I just picked a guy. Uh, Israel isn't special for any reason other than God said, Abraham, I like you. Let's do this thing. He didn't say Israel's a special nation. He said, I'm going to make you a nation. He just picked a guy and made a nation. But his plan was always the earth, not just Israel. And he still has. Israel is still blessed. There's still promises for Israel. Those things are still going on. But uh, it's about all of us. And so this is a reminder of that in the Feast of Weeks. Uh, in Joel 2... And of course, in Acts 2, we see the promise that the Spirit of God would be poured out on all flesh, right? And he lists uh, different, he, old and young, uh, rich and poor, men and women, uh, and he means the nations. And so it's a reminder, and he does that. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God is poured out liberally, right? The day of Pentecost. And it's on all flesh. It's for all of us. It's not just for the Jews. In fact, it freaked them out when the Spirit of God... Do you guys remember the story of Peter and Cornelius? Where Peter has a dream, and, uh, and there's all these animals you're not supposed to eat in a sheet, and, and God says, eat them. And Peter goes, no, God, I've never eaten anything unclean. And uh, God says, what I've made clean, don't you call unclean. And then he sends him to talk to Cornelius. It wasn't about the animals, even though I'm really excited about the bacon part. <laughs> I really am. I'm pretty sure it'll be at the wedding feast of the lamb. You know, wrapped around scallops. Anyway, uh, which were also not allowed in the Old Testament. Um, he goes to Cornelius, right? Uh, it wasn't about the food. It was about him thinking Cornelius was unclean because he was a Gentile. And the Spirit of God, uh, Cornelius and his group start speaking in tongues. And Peter flips out. He, it actually says, uh, they, go, they looked at each other and they went, oh, so the Gentiles can be saved too. We didn't think that was possible. <laughs> Seriously, guys, they did not think that was possible. This figured heavily in the Jerusalem Council, the story of Peter and Cornelius. And they're deciding what to do with the Gentiles and how the, the Gentiles could be saved. This flipped them out. They thought it was just about them. God's reminding them through this feast, it's about the nations. It's about everyone. Now, here's where you see that. In uh, Passover, uh, it was the, or the, the feast of Passover was a feast of unleavened bread, right? Um, 
In, in uh, the Feast of Weeks, they were to eat leavened bread, mixture. They were to eat the bread that had been mixed with leaven. They were supposed to mix with the Gentiles. Um, I mean, the primary sign that God had started the church was uh, he had everybody speaking in all the different languages that were represented. How is that for a visual that this is about more than Israel? Just in case you weren't getting it, let's, let's just have, and this has never happened before. Tongues is not an Old Testament thing, right? Just in case you're not figuring this out, let's have everybody speak uh, in tongues and people hear them in their own language so they get that it's not just about Hebrew. It's for everybody. All flesh, right? They would read from the book of Ruth. You know, the story of the Gentile woman who got grafted into Israel, right? This is what happens at the Feast of Weeks. It's, he, again, he's just trying to show us visually the plan. Now, our part in the plan is revealed in Abraham's promise. Abraham was promised two things. God said, Abraham, I like you. You're doing what I say. You offered your only son, by the way, on the mountain that Jesus would later be crucified on. Just another visual, right? I'm going to make a nation out of you, and I'm going to bless you. Promise part one, and promise part two. And I'm going to make, and I'm going to bless the nations through you. Israel was really down on promise part one, on being blessed. They had forgotten kind of about promise part two. All through the Old Testament, they're told to accept the stranger. It wasn't just for them, right? So what God is doing in the Feast of Pentecost is going, look, you guys got the part one down. You don't have the part two down. I'm going to extend this. I'm going to give my spirit to everyone and to a people who will go do this, who who will take this to the nations. Amen? And so that's what happened. You guys get this? Isn't that a cool visual? Now, the third is the fall feasts. And again, there are three of these combined into about a two-week period. The fall feasts are about the one who is to come, about the second coming, about the coming of the Messiah. They really get, the Jews really get, that these feasts are about the coming of the Messiah. In fact, they're so excited about this that uh, they... In Jesus' time, they wanted to skip to this feast. They didn't understand um, Jesus and his significance with the Passover. They just wanted to move right to uh, the Messiah, the King, that's going to restore Israel. You know, let's go to that. They didn't know there was something in between. So let's make sure we understand what's going on here so we have something to look forward to. Now, it is the first feast we see is the Feast of Trumpets. Um, and again... They are celebrating the coming Messiah's reign, how he will come, he will restore Jerusalem, he will reign there, and uh, the nations will no longer oppress them, right? And that's going to happen. Now, we read about trumpets in the book of Revelation, don't we? There are seven of them. You know what happens in Revelation 11 at the last trumpet? It says, the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. What do you think that is? We also read in 1 Corinthians 15 that at the last trumpet, uh, the dead in Christ will rise. The first fruits will have the harvest, 
right? And so again, this last trumpet is when this happens. Israel, uh, again, was real focused on this. You'll see this, remember Jesus in his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's entering during um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread coming up on Passover, right? So they should be real focused on that. But they throw palm branches in front of him, which is a traditional celebration of the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, which is the fall feasts. They, they cry out Hosanna, which is something they cry out during the fall feasts. They're basically saying, we think you're the Messiah, and we like to skip right to the Feast of Tabernacles, yeah. right? Uh, and again, they're very focused on this. They didn't get the suffering part. Uh, the apostles were the same in 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, in um, Acts 1 6. The first thing the apostles say right before Jesus ascends into heaven, they say, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The answer, by the way, is no. Not at this time. He tells them, I'm not telling you the time. But you see their focus. And so because they were focused on that, uh, they missed some things. We've got to be careful. If we don't watch our focus, we can miss some things. Israel was so focused on Messiah restoring Israel. They, they missed Messiah dying for their sins, right? They missed that part, which is clearly in Scripture. We understand that now. So uh, we should focus on this. Here's some things that might distract us. Uh, it's really easy to get focused on the Antichrist. He will come, but that's not what we're supposed to be focused on. Amen. It's really easy to get focused on Armageddon, which, by the way, is not an event, and it has nothing to do with an asteroid. Um, <laughs> it is the nations gathering in the valley of Megiddo, that's where Armageddon comes from, uh, in preparation to attack Jerusalem, right? And uh, that's not going to work out well for them. Jesus is going to come and interrupt that. There is a rapture, clearly, in Scripture, but that's not our focus. Our focus isn't on us, right? It's not about us going. It's not the first coming, his personal coming, the church is going, Hear me. It's his coming. That's our focus. We've got to be careful. We don't get our focus off or we'll miss things. Amen? It's real clear in 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, that this is our focus. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. That's going to be exciting. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Two things I want you to see there. This is supposed to be the thing that comforts us. Christ is coming. We're going to be with him. We're going to see him. We're going to be changed. We're going to, be, we're going to become like him. That's what I'm focused on. All this, all this other stuff's going to happen, but I'm sticking with Jesus. Right? And that's what gets us through all the other stuff. The other thing is this. It says, and we shall always be with the Lord. It's not about escaping tribulation. It's not about going to heaven. It's about being where he is. And wherever he goes, that's where I want to be. And if he's going to the Valley of Megiddo to take care of the armies... Uh, I'd like to sit on a horse and watch. Amen. How about you? 
All right, then. See, again, it's this incredible visual. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now, Jesus, uh, remember, for about 40 days after his resurrection, he wandered around and talked to people and freaked things out, right? And uh, during this 40 days, at any point, he could have just left and gone, well, I'm going to heaven now, and uh, I'll see you guys in a few thousand years, whatever. Um, but he ascends, and they're standing there, and they all see him ascend into the clouds, right? Which I'm guessing was pretty impressive. And right afterwards, there's a couple of angels, and they go, hey, why are you guys standing around looking up like that? They go, listen, uh, that was a visual, guys. He did that for you. Uh, so that you would remember, in like manner, he will come again. Right? So remember that. That's what I want you focused on. He's going to come that way. He's going to come on the clouds. We have other verses that tell us he will come on the clouds and every eye will see him. It won't be a secret thing. Every eye will see him. He will come on the clouds. And so even his ascension was a visual of what we're to look forward to. Is coming. Now, the feast within these feasts uh, is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, and this one is really more about Israel, but I still want to explain it. Uh, this is a day of national repentance. It is the one day a year, remember one day a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies behind the veil in the temple to offer sacrifice for the sins of the nation of Israel, right? So it's very, he has to do it just right, or, or they have to drag him out. They tie a rope to his leg in case. <laughs> right. So uh, this is the one day a year that the priest enters the veil. That would be the same veil that was torn in half uh, when Jesus died on the cross. Amen. That veil. Amen. I think there's a visual there. Right? That one's self-explanatory. The way is open. And he has the power to rend the veil. All right. So um, what happens on this feast um, is, again, they're, they're in mourning. They take a day to repent and to mourn. They do this every year. Guys, they've been doing this for 3,600 years. On this day, they mourn, they repent. Now, um, there are some interesting things. We're going to get to Psalm 118 in a minute. Um, but... I want to look at Matthew 23, uh, where Jesus is talking about Jerusalem. And this is, again, in that week, uh, just before he goes to the cross. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate in 70 years the temple would be destroyed and Jerusalem would be sacked, right? See, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Keep this in mind. Will Jesus enter Jerusalem again? Yes. yes. And the last, next time he does, it'll be to rain. What has to happen before he enters? He's not a liar. They aren't going to see him again until they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They have to repent. Jerusalem is a nation, is a city. 
has to repent of not acknowledging him as Messiah. See, when he came in, the triumphal entry, they were like, hey, this is the Messiah. He's going to deliver us from Rome, from Roman oppression. By the end of the week, they're ready to crucify him because they didn't see him delivering them from Roman oppression. They didn't get that he had come to deliver them from something far more significant than Roman oppression. Right? He's not coming into Jerusalem again until they acknowledge he is Lord. Now, here's what's awesome. Uh, I believe that they're going to do that sometime around the time the nations are gathered in the Valley of Megiddo and Jesus has appeared in the heavens and they get it. Right? Zechariah 12, And I will pour on the house of David and on the habits and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Anyone need that interpreted? Pretty straightforward, right? And this is Old Testament. And they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. They're going to do Zechariah 12. They have been practicing this day once a year for 3,600 years. They're practicing. God has them practicing once a year national mourning for when they finally see, oh, he's the Messiah. Isn't that awesome? He's given them a visual that they see every year. And they're going to get it. And the nation of Israel, as Paul says in Romans, will be saved. Now, uh, I get excited about that. Um, no, anyway, I'll just move on. Uh, the last feast that we're going to talk about is the Feast of Tabernacles, or tents, or booths. And it is, um, it is a celebration of the final harvest. Uh, interestingly, Jesus talks about a final harvest where he will divide the wheat and the tares and throw one into the fire and take the other with him. You guys understand that parable, right? Matthew 13. So it represents the coming of Christ and his final harvest where there's a separation. Now, in this Feast of Tabernacles, uh, it is also um, a celebration of God's faithfulness to Israel in the wilderness. And so uh, they would get, uh, they would make booths typically out of palm branches because when they came out of Israel, they dwelt, or I'm sorry, when they came out of Egypt, they dwelt in tents because they were moving around a lot, right? So they dwelt in tents, so they would make booths or tabernacles out of palm branches. Again, that's why when on the triumphal entry, they're throwing palm branches at Jesus' feet. They're going, let's move on to the Feast of Tabernacles right now. Let's make a tent. That's why Peter when God appeared in glory on the mountain with Moses and Elijah, said, you want me to make tents? Is it tabernacle? Are you here? Is this it? You get it? It's very exciting. Now, uh, so we, as well as Israel, continue to look forward to that. It's the celebration, and it is very celebratory. This feast is, is they, they have the day of Yom Kippur, of mourning, and then it's a party. And there's lots of dancing and singing and lights and stuff. All right? Now, here's what's fun. On the last day of the celebration, they celebrate God's gift of the law of the word. 
And then they would do a couple of interesting things. I don't know that they do these anymore because the temple not being there. But they would do that in Jesus' day, they were still doing this. There's two things that they would do. They would pour out water at the side of the temple. Uh, and, and it was a reference to life-giving or living water. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but when you're reading John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, he is in Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. It, it makes what he says very significant. So literally, John 7, they're pouring out water at the temple, and Jesus stands up and says, hey, by the way, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. I'll give you rivers of living water that will flow out of your bellies. By the way, what he's doing, that's about me. That's a visual. That's an awesome visual. Right? The other thing they would do is they would have a torchlight parade about uh, the word being the light and God lighting their path. And it is in this context that Jesus in John chapter 8 said, by the way, I'm the light of the world. If anyone comes to me, he will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Just another visual in case you guys don't understand what's going on here. Right? I'm telling you, you almost have to not want to see it, to not see it. He's made it so clear what the plan is. Now, the other thing they would do during the Feast of Tabernacles is they read the praise psalms every year. Been doing this for 3,600 years. Every year, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, Psalms of Ascent, Psalms of Praise. I want to read to you a brief passage from Psalm 118. I want you to think about this. This is read every year at the Feast of Tabernacles. Starting with verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Isn't that amazing? Every year he has the high priests the leaders of Israel getting up and reading about the stone the builders rejected that became the chief cornerstone. they got to be thinking about that. This was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. And by the way, it's okay if you want to you know, sing, this is the day, this. And, and, and apply it to today because he made all of them. But that's not what that verse is talking about. It's not saying every day, is the day the Lord will made, and we will rejoice and be glad. And he's, it's saying the day Jesus became the chief cornerstone. That's the day. We're going to rejoice and be glad in that. Jesus became the chief cornerstone. We could begin to build the church on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the key, chief cornerstone, with all of us being added in as living stones, kings and priests to our God. All that stuff. We're going to rejoice in that day. It's what we're doing this morning, isn't it? We're rejoicing in the day that the Lord made Jesus the chief cornerstone. So, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now. That's the Hosanna. Hosanna literally means, O Lord, save. So they were shouting out Psalm 118 when he was coming in in his triumphal entry. O Lord, save. Save now, I pray, O Lord. I pray, send now prosperity. And listen to how it ends. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. What do they have to say before he'll come again? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He has them practicing at every Feast of Tabernacle. Every Feast of Tabernacle. Just practice saying this, Israel. One day you're going to mean it. Amen. I love 
that while he's being examined by the chief priests and elders um, in, that, in uh, Matthew 21, in the week leading up to his crucifixion, where each one of them comes and examines the lamb to make sure, they didn't know they were doing this, to make sure it was a spotless lamb. While he's being examined, he tells the chief priests and elders a parable about a wicked vine dresser who had a, uh, the, uh, a guy who had a vineyard and the guy, the vine dresser, the guy he'd hired to take care of his vineyard, um, when he'd send servants to receive the produce, they'd kill him, representing the prophets. So he finally sends his son, and they go, this is the son, and we'll kill him and take his inheritance. They kill the son also. You guys know what that represents, right? And he tells the chief priest and the Pharisees this, and, this, and he goes, what's that guy going to do? And the chief priest goes, well, they'll, he'll take the vineyard away from that vine dresser and give it to people who will give its produce to uh, where it's supposed to go. And Jesus looks at him and says, have you not read that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? And it made him mad because they knew he was talking about them. They knew. He made it so clear. He said it right before he went to the cross. The stone that the builders rejected. The day that we will rejoice in. It's right here. Isn't it amazing? Yes, amen. What I want you to see in all this, and it's very simple, when Jesus said to the apostles um, after the resurrection, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He could have easily said, I am the plan, underlined the I am the plan. I'm it. The entire plan is the one who is and who was and who is to come. And uh, a lot of people try and get you on other plans. The devil, he's got a lot of plans to offer. Some of them are easier. You can pay in installments. Just gets real expensive at the end. But all of those plans will fail. Guys, it's so simple. He's the plan. Jesus is the plan. Your only hope is to be in him. Uh, the Bible says, he who endures to the end will be saved. I don't know when the real Feast of Tabernacles will be, when Jesus will appear on the clouds. But you want to be in him then. You don't want to have gone on to a different plan. Amen? So, if you're here this morning or you're listening online, and you've never applied the blood of Jesus to your life. It's, again, guys, it's really simple. God just wants you to understand the plan. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. The wages of sin is death. The blood of Jesus. Jesus died in our place for our sins that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. The blood of Jesus erases our sins. But only if you're in him you put faith in him and you stay in him no matter what comes blessings or persecutions prosperity or hardship you don't go to a different plan you stay in him there's an absolute promise that he will finish the plan that he developed from the foundation of the earth he will come again and redeem all of us and the earth so if you've never done that I'm telling you there is no other plan that will work. There is no other way. He is the only way to the Father.
I encourage you, uh, put your faith in Jesus. All you got to do is tell him that you believe he's who he said he is, that he's your Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, ask him to forgive you of your sins and to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And he promised to do that. And then it would be real smart after that to begin to read the Bible and to talk to him more and to hang out with people who know him so you can learn how to do this. It's that simple. Read his word, talk to him, be around people who know him, and they can help you. Amen? Amen. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, I vacillated this morning on whether to do kind of an altar call thing or whatever, but I, I, I feel like God, some of you may even be feeling a, a, a bit of a weight. And if that's God, I want to leave that. You need to be serious about this. I, it took me three weeks to decide uh, I couldn't comfortably go back to my old life. And I had to, I had to give my life to Jesus. Because I knew, I don't know how I knew, but I knew it was an all or none deal. I knew I had to eat the whole lamb. Amen? Amen. So, uh, you just want to do that. I just want to pray for you. And John's going to come up and close us. And uh, you can, you know... Go to lunch, stuff donuts in your pockets as you go, stuff like that. <laughs> but I want to pray. And uh, if there's anybody here, I do want to say this, if there's anybody here who has not put faith in Jesus and you want to talk to someone, you want prayer, you want help, absolutely uh, come up here and we will pray for you um, as the service ends. We will be happy to do that. Amen? Amen. So Lord, we thank you for the plan. It's an amazing plan. We thank you that Jesus did it all and that all we have to do is accept him and come into him. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that it enables us to be so much more than we could be on our own. Or we thank you for saving us from death by dying for us. Jesus, we acknowledge the plan. We acknowledge Jesus. Or right now, uh, Lord, I just pray uh, that you would fill us, uh, Lord, deeply, uh, or just with the, the, uh, the revelation uh, that, uh, of this whole thing, the big picture, so that the, the distractions and the temptations and the other things wouldn't be able to derail us. We would be so full of the knowledge of Jesus and the plan of redemption that you are enacting in the earth that will not fail. Amen. Hmm. I just, uh, I just feel like I'm putting a weight on this in this time, in this season. We need to know. Devil's going to challenge. We just need to. We just need to know. The plan will work. Stick with the plan. Amen.